This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised, this is our, uh, I guess, semi-annual pre-election show. There, of course, is an election on November 7th, next Tuesday, and this is our last show before that fateful day. So we're going to talk politics in our second segment with our traditional liberal correspondent, Mr. Alan Stanton, and our traditional conservative contributor, David Lowell Mather. Stay tuned for that in segment two. When it comes to prominent persons coming to the local area, we seem to have an embarrassment of riches in during the next week. Uh, Robert Dole, former senator from Kansas and presidential candidate in 1996, comes to the Mondavi Center on Saturday. We uh, hope to be in attendance and uh, get a chance to speak with uh, uh, former Senator Bob Dole. Walter Cronkite, CBS legend and former Radio Parallax guest, is coming to UOP on Monday the 6th. We hope likewise to be down in Stockton to be able to meet uh, a legend of uh, broadcasting um, face-to-face. And next Wednesday at uh, Sacramento State University, Oliver Stone will be coming to speak to uh, university students. We hope also to be uh, be in attendance there as well. So we hope we'll have a lot to report uh, for next week's program. We think that uh, Oliver Stone's JFK was about as good as it gets when it comes to uh, political thrillers and uh, a tremendous admirer of director Stone for that work and some other good work he's done as well. However, I have to admit, I hated natural-born killers. But anyway, be that as it may, we'll uh, hopefully have some reports next week. Let us commence the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, this being November 2nd, November 2nd. 1859, abolitionist John Brown, whose raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia, inflamed tensions, which led to the American Civil War, was found guilty of treason and murder. He was hanged a month later. On this date in 1920, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania radio station KDKA broadcast the results of the 1920 presidential race between Warren G. Harding and James M. Cox. This was the first significant public radio news broadcast in the United States. By the way, Harding trounced Cox. Warren Harding, we would remind you, was probably the most unqualified man to serve as President of the United States until George W. Bush took office. Perhaps I'll deserve you and be even worthy of you if I only had a brain. And on another election day on November 2nd, this time in 1948, in what was the greatest upset in U.S. presidential election history, Democratic incumbent Harry S. Truman defeated Republican challenger Governor Thomas Dewey of New York by over 2 million votes. Long before all the votes were counted, the conservative Chicago Tribune published an early edition with the banner headline, Dewey defeats Truman, leading to that perhaps most famous of all uh, election photos, a beaming Truman displaying the uh, Chicago Tribune headline saying Dewey defeats Truman. It wasn't so. Our quote of the day comes from comic Will Durst, who once said, Racism is so stupid. There's more than enough reason to dislike people on an individual basis. 
We're sorry to report that Will Durst has uh, been taken off the air in the Bay Area, the Will and Willie Show, which was um, a morning program with Will Durst and former Mayor Willie Brown, um, has been supplanted by something else from the Air America lineup of programs. We're sorry to uh, report that. We do hope that uh, Will Durst can come on next week's show to talk about a conference to take place at Sonoma State University, part of Project Censored, to take place tomorrow and Saturday. We would have liked very much to have been in attendance, uh, but unfortunately, uh, prior commitments are keeping us away. But perhaps Will Durst can fill us in on what takes place. Our statistic of the day is 5,525 miles. That is the length of the United States-Canadian border. This came up, according to the Associated Press recently, when it noted that authorities were having some trouble monitoring this border because they can't locate it. Much of these 5,525 miles is overrun with woods and dense brush that obscures the markers and monuments that denote the actual border. If you can't find it, said U.S. Border Commissioner Dennis Sharnak, then you can't secure it. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It apparently was a good week a couple weeks back for sweeps when it was revealed that runaway bride Jennifer Willibanks was suing her ex-boyfriend saying he cheated her on a book deal. You will no doubt recall that Willibanks... uh, at age 32, last year ran off four days before she was to be married in a lavish wedding and turned up later in New Mexico claiming she'd been abducted and sexually assaulted. In what must surely qualify him as being one of the dumbest guys in America, her ex-fiance John C. Mason attempted to patch things up with Jennifer and apparently it didn't work out so well. In fact, the runaway bride is taking her former fiancé to court and claiming he took advantage of her hospitalization to defraud her of her share of the proceeds of a book deal about their adventure. Miss Willibanks is claiming that Mason, um, uh, after striking a deal for $500,000, well, she wants $250,000 of her share and $250,000 in punitive damages for the alleged abuse of the power of attorney. She's also claiming that John Mason never returned her new vacuum cleaner, a ladder, a gold-colored sofa, and various wedding shower gifts. And it was kind of a bad week two weeks ago for Mel Gibson when he revealed on Good Morning America that he was so ashamed after being arrested for drunken driving last July that he went home and had a few cold ones. And, you know, it's not that we blame him necessarily for having a couple of them, but, you know, why tell Good Morning America about it? And it was an ugly week last week for liars and those who tell them when Rush Limbaugh on his syndicated radio program said that Michael J. Fox was exaggerating the effects of his Parkinson's disease. Quote, he's moving all around and shaking and it's purely an act. This is really shameless of Michael J. Fox. Either he didn't take his medication or he's acting. 
Now, by by way of clarification, if someone doesn't take his medications with Parkinson, they become rather rigid. They do not shake all around. You do that if you take too much medication when you get dystonic reactions. You would think that a guy caught with 10,000 Oxycontin would be a little more circumspect when talking about the medical conditions of others, but I guess not. After the public outcry over these remarks, Limbaugh said, Now, people are telling me they've seen Michael J. Fox in interviews, and he does appear the same way in the interviews as he does in this commercial. All right, then. I stand corrected. So I will bigly, hugely admit that I was wrong, and I will apologize to Michael J. Fox if I am wrong in characterizing his behavior on this commercial as an act. Anyway, I think you guys know how we feel about Mr. Limbaugh, but let's, uh, let's close up the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's do some mail. This didn't actually come to us here at info at radioparallax.com. It was sent to New Scientist magazine in regards to that story we mentioned about robots being put in use by the Defense Department, something the, uh, the DOD is very keen to get operational soon. Wrote Nick Stevens to the magazine, I referred to your article on military robots. Is it just me? Or can anyone think of an easier way to get a munition into a U.S. base than by attaching it to a robot with an autonomous return home function? I think that's a pretty good question. And also was the question from John Lapthorne, who noted uh, as follows. So military robots might be developed by the Pentagon with a capability for speech, face, and gesture recognition. Will these be based only on the characteristics of people who might be found in a Midwestern shopping mall, or more broadly? If the former, what will such a robot make of the Greek negative of the head nodded upwards, the Indian head waggle to indicate a reluctance to say no, or an Indonesian man with eyes downcast in deference to authority? Well, we're confident the programming will be flawless, as is everything else we've, we've noted about computers. They never make mistakes. We liked also the comment sent to us by our pal Phil Proctor, formerly of the Firesign Theater, who included us in his emails, which noted that it's my contention, according to Phil, that the Republican Party should be renamed the Neocon Party, since their formerly conservative ideals have been totally hijacked, while the Democrats should be the Donner Party, since they seem to be eating themselves alive. And we'd like to draw your attention to the email sent us by Don. Actually referred us to the Onion website for the following article. Dateline, Pasadena, California. NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory scientists overseeing the ongoing Mars Exploration Rover mission said Monday that the Spirit's latest transmissions could indicate a growing resentment of the Red Planet. Spirit has been displaying some anomalous behavior, said Project Manager John Callis, who noted the rover's unsuccessful attempts to flip itself over and otherwise damage its scientific instruments. And the thousand or so daily messages of, still no water, really points to a crisis of purpose. Granted, Spirit has been extraordinarily useful to our work, Callis said. Last week, however, we received three straight days of images of the same rock with the message, happy now? 
Project organizers said the most distressing instance of erratic behavior occurred last week when images of the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter revealed that Spirit had scrawled the message F-Mars in the thick iron oxide dust that gives the planet its characteristic red color. We do love the onion. And we have the following from the Denver Post, which is onion-esque but actually real. It was noted uh, by Al Lewis, writing in the Post, that uh, cheaters apparently do prosper after all. At least students enrolled in business administration master's programs go on to earn more money than students in other master's programs, and they also cheat more. A chart-topping 56% of MBA students admitted to sneaking notes into tests, stealing work, or engaging in other forms of cheating, according to a new survey by Pennsylvania State, Rutgers, and Washington State Universities. For business students, getting the job done is what's important, said Donald McCabe of Rutgers. How you get it done is less important. Unfortunately, this win-at-all-costs attitude carries over into corporate America. And writing last Friday on WashingtonPost.com, Alan Cooperman noted that the New Jersey court decision that gay couples are entitled to the same rights as heterosexual couples was bad news for social conservatives. The bad news they were hoping for. Quote, pro-traditional marriage organizations ought to give a distinguished service award to the New Jersey Supreme Court, said Reverend Richard Land, head of the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Said Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, a Washington-based advocacy group, I have to think there are democratic strategists out there thinking the words of the old Japanese admiral. I fear all we've done is wake a sleeping giant. They were coasting into an election with a Republican base with dampened enthusiasm. This brings it all back home to the base, what this election is about. Said Reverend Land, uh, you know, whatever wind was pumped out of their sails, referring to his constituency, has now been pumped back in. I frankly was amazed that the New Jersey judges issued their decision before the election. It remains to be seen what this effect is going to have on the election next week, but uh, we will certainly follow this uh, avidly to see if some races may, uh, may be influenced by that decision of the New Jersey Supreme Court. Yeah, we were hoping that uh, for this program we'd get a chance to talk to Charlie Brown as well as Pete McCloskey uh, about the races uh, involving John Doodle and Richard Pombo, but it looks as though we couldn't hook up with either one. But hopefully we will get a chance to talk to Congressman-elect Brown uh, in the weeks to come and do a recap with uh, former Congressman Pete McCloskey who is, uh, you know, one of our favorites. He had a great interview on this program six months ago, and we're, we're looking forward to bringing him back. We hope you'll be able to talk about uh, Congressman-elect Durston down there in the Stockton area. Every year, of course, we like to quote the Esquire dubious achievements of the year. Um, And we did note that uh, in the run-up to this election, uh, Esquire had an article entitled The Cynthia McKinney Awards for the Worst Members of Congress. Of course, the Esquire article was written by someone who did not like uh, Cynthia McKinney. But he did have the following to say about Representative John Doolittle. Campaigning ferociously for the title of most unabashedly corrupt member of Congress not yet serving time, facing stiff competition but in the lead, Doolittle took $140,000 from Jack Abramoff and his clients and refuses to give it back because, quote, he won't give credence to claims that he has taken tainted money no matter how much the media tries to pressure him to do so, unquote. Noted Esquire, oh, 
and his wife took payments from Abramoff, too, and a 15% cut of all Doolittle's campaign contributions. What's a guy got to do to get indicted around here? Chris, Radio Parallax would not like to imply that the Republicans have a complete monopoly over congressional corruption. Esquire pointed out that Representative William Jefferson of Louisiana (laughs) claimed there was a perfectly good reason he had $90,000 in cash stashed in his freezer where it was found by the FBI. He won't, however, tell anybody what the reason is. Esquire said, you let us know when you're ready, Bill. And on that note, let us take a short break and then return to talk about uh, the election uh, this coming Tuesday with our liberal and conservative correspondents. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Why can't you see what you do? 